0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and I am out of the studio once again. Uh, Harry was sick this week, and... We didn't end up having a Tuesday show as a result because he was a he was a game-time decision. So he, he's had the flu the last week, but he says he's starting to feel better. So we'll look forward to talking with Harry again on Tuesday. I haven't seen him in like two or three weeks, so it's very rare. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back into a routine. But I have been so busy with traveling, and uh, work has been very busy with a bunch of new projects. And I am candidly working on several new projects behind the scenes for not only We Are Libertarians, but also personally, I get asked all the time about building a podcast empire like Dear Leader has built here at We Are Libertarians, and I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over, so I figured I should start a podcast about podcasting, which I'm going to do very soon. If you don't listen to The Chris Spangle Show, uh, then there's a lot of podcasts about podcasting there to tide you over. So, uh. But I wanted to put this into the feed and talk with you a little bit before I play this about what's going on with Facebook, YouTube, Google, and Twitter. Now, today, it came out that Steven Crowder was banned on Facebook, not on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitter. So, Steven Crowder, if you don't know who he is, he's with CRTV, which is a... Conservative slash libertarian TV network. They have Matt Kibbe, who used to be with FreedomWorks. Uh, a lot of libertarian programming there. Gavin McInnes, who I would say is sort of conserv- sort of libertarian. Um, uh, you know, a lot of these conservative commentators now are beginning to say they're libertarian. Uh, they don't hold traditional libertarian beliefs. Like I, I like the, I like Ben Shapiro, but when you hear Ben Shapiro talk about foreign policy, he's very unlibertarian. But on things like the budget and taxes, he's very libertarian in those in those respects. So Crowder calls himself a libertarian. I, I wouldn't say that he's an orthodox libertarian, uh, but he is definitely within our wheelhouse, and I would say he's a mainstream conservative ben shapiro and the daily wire are mainstream conservatives uh they don't say things that are particularly uh, beyond the pale they're certainly not hate speech uh the thing with crowder and with gavin McInnes and some of the crtv folks they do like to push the envelope they do like to be provocative to get a reaction from the left because that's what their audiences love I've talked a lot about how if I wanted to make more money at this, then I really should just start pretending that I'm Tommy Lauren (laughs) and just saying exactly what conservatives want to hear or the young Turks saying what Democrats want to hear. Or even, you know, my dear, dear, dear friend Roger Paxton, who who I disagree with on not not a lot of substance, but a lot of strategy he caters to the black and yellow anarcho-capitalist crowd a because that's what he believes it's not necessarily a financial choice i think tommy lauren believes what she says i think she's just not that bright roger is a bright person but if i if i were to just say oh yeah i'm an anarcho-capitalist here's what i believe and interview a bunch of mises um, mises thinkers from the mises institute I'd probably have more downloads than I do. <laughs> you know, I would I would probably be up in Dave Smith or Tom Woods territory at this point, but I am not as certain as those guys. I'm just uh, a person that asks a lot of questions and tries to wrestle with a lot of stuff. And also working in politics has really made me go, yeah, I love philosophy and I'm, I'm into it, but I also think there's other problems. Anyways, I'm so far away from where I was supposed to be. Now, y- you you look at someone like Steven Crowder, who is provocative, who does try to d- try to do things to get a reaction. But he's not that far out of the mainstream of conservatism, and what most people think, he is not somebody that I think is a bigot. But I do think that he is racially or uh, you know intersectionally provocative. <laughs> I may have just created a term. And he did this video, which I haven't watched all the way through, but where he crashed some uh, LGBT event and YouTube took it down and then Twitter suspended him for promoting it, saying that it violated their terms of service, their community standards. And it was removed. Anybody that tried to share it from his staff got bans. Uh, They got a seven-day ban on Crowder's Twitter account. And even though the content is not necessarily, let's be honest, it's not a discussion of like Socratic philosophy, Uh, it's provocative for provocative sake, trying to make a point um, and probably one that not a lot of libertarians would agree with. But here's where I come down on it. Yes, libertarians love to make the property rights argument and i and i am fully 100% supportive of the argument that these companies own their servers, they own their property, they can associate with who they want, and if they don't want Steven Crowder or really anybody on their platforms, they can get rid of them. It's a, it's as simple as that. If i i wouldn't have um some people on this network I wouldn't have Richard Spencer, for instance, on uh, the network with a podcast or even an interview. I just I think he's a racist and I I wouldn't want there's nothing that he and I have to discuss. (laughs) And I don't want to be associated with him. So I'm not going to use my platform to give him a platform. So I totally am supportive of that argument. Now. We Are Libertarians is not the same thing as Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple, and Amazon, and these, these big companies. They are, like, 98% of the internet isn't accessible because it's not on Google. <laughs> you know, so you see 2% of the internet because that's what you can Google search. Uh, the two out of every five minutes for most people is spent on Facebook, Twitter is it dominates what is actually part of the news. YouTube is, as I have said, one of the greatest achievements in human knowledge. Anybody can put anything up and anyone can have a discussion and reaction videos take place, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I find it sad that such a powerful, so all of these tools, but YouTube especially, is such a powerful tool for free speech. Is giving in to censorship from the the left that uses intersectional politics. If you don't know what that term means, it's identity politics. As as a blunt force weapon to silence other people's speech, it's really disappointing that these companies are giving in to that. But we all should. We all said when Google and Facebook gave in to China to get into that market. Uh, and they started allowing censorship to happen on their platforms well it's not it's only a matter of time before it comes to America and it's here and conservative voices mainstream conservative voices are being completely demonetized de uh, <laughs> they're they're taking the content and not putting it in the algorithm okay so i there there was a tool online that i used to search my Twitter handle and I've been shadow banned on several tweets which means I tweeted something out it showed up on my timeline but none of my followers actually saw that tweet because Twitter scans it and says and eh, this is this is content we don't want on the platform I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast would think that I'd ever tweet anything out that would be outrageous <laughs> Prager University on YouTube has been hidden from several different uh, angles, both demonetized, taken out of the algorithm. Prager University is run by a man named Dennis Prager who is, I think he's Jewish, but he's definitely within the Christian conservative realm, talks a lot about philosophy and values. He's certainly not an offensive person. Uh, he's even had liberals like Alan Dershowitz on his Prager U. and he's suing uh, YouTube. And here's the thing. So we have the, we have the property rights argument that is valid. It is their servers. They can do what they want. But are they getting to a point where they're committing fraud, where they're saying in their terms of service, we will behave this way and we will apply this equally to all, and then they don't do that. As Ben Shapiro pointed out, why is Steven Crowder being taken off of Twitter, but Louis Farrakhan, who is a virulent anti-Semite, still on Twitter? <laughs> so you're, you're not applying this equally to everyone. You are clearly targeting one strain of ideology, and that's a problem. And anybody that understands the non-aggression principle, the foundational principle, the foundational axiom of the libertarian movement is that you, you cannot initiate force to achieve social or political goals? Well, include in force is defrauding someone. If you lie to someone, if you cheat, if you steal, that is a, a violation of the non-aggression principle. At what point are these companies starting to commit fraud and saying, no, 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 we, we treat everyone equally. Uh, this is just a mistake, we'll fix it. Well, we're not stupid, okay? You're not, you're not treating it fairly. And what I fear is that libertarians are being too meek and too mild on this for the property rights argument and not standing up for the right of free speech. They're, they're very – we are very good on gun rights and property rights, but we are weak when it comes to free speech, especially right-leaning libertarians. They go, well, you know, there's uh, – I just don't like what they have to say, but it's their right to say – stop being a pussy. Austin Peterson got banned from Facebook, Uh, He 30 days, a 30-day ban for a drawing of an AR-15. I'm not kidding. And he basically went on a campaign. He contacted Glenn Beck and every right-leaning media outlet or independent media outlet or anyone that would have a conversation with him and started doing a (laughs) a press junket about how he is banned from Facebook. Well, three or four days into the ban, he was given access to his Facebook page. And I think uh, Brian will cover this in his interview, but I think it's within 30 days of the the primary where he's running in Missouri for the Republican Senate nomination. And, you know, he's showing photos of Claire McCaskill, his opponent, with with executives of Facebook and Twitter and Hillary Clinton's campaigns. I mean, it's it's laughable but it's, it's actually really scary because these companies are incredibly powerful over the, the way that Americans think, and we have to hold them accountable. Austin Peterson did the right thing. Austin Peterson said, yes, they do have property rights, but I also have a right to free speech, and you don't have the right to commit fraud against me. You don't have a right to try and fix an election. And I'm not going to use government force to stop you, but by God, I'm going to fight you and raise awareness about your bad business practices. That's exactly what we need to be doing. And he was reinstated today. And he gave an interview to one of the shows on our network, Brian, The Brian Nichols Show, which is a great podcast. It's N-I-C-H-O-L-S for Brian Nichols. You can find it at we Are Libertarians.com. I'm not a fan of interviews, I just don't like doing them. Um, It's not what this show is about. This show is really about a group of friends uh, conversing about politics. And I would like to do more interviews, but I just don't have the time and I just don't have the, the inclination really. Brian likes to do interviews and I'm glad to have him on the network because I'm, I'm really excited to have somebody on the network that will talk to people like Austin and get their point of view. And Brian doesn't just talk to libertarians. He talks to conservatives and liberals and has debates about things like the environment so I would really love for you to check out his podcast and and take a listen to it. It's not just an interview show. He does a lot of cool different things. He's about 10 episodes in, and we're getting great feedback on the show, and I would love to see our audience pick that up and start listening to Brian on a weekly basis It comes out on Friday. Again, you can get that at weirdlibertarians.com. So with that, I want to replay... Uh, his interview with Austin Peterson. They start out talking about the Facebook incident and then they move on to talk about a bunch of other things like immigration and abortion and other things that uh, Austin is just so well-spoken. Like I would love to have the ability to speak like Austin Peterson, but I have, I don't know if I have a fat tongue or what, but uh, he's, he's so intelligent and eloquent and, I think you'll really enjoy this interview by Brian Nichols with Austin Peterson.
1: Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, and today we have a special uh, show because I am joined by uh, many of you probably know him here on this network. It is the current uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate out in Missouri. He is running for the Republican nomination. Uh, You know him from being the former Libertarian uh, presidential candidate in uh, and also uh, founder of the Libertarian Republic, uh, Austin Peterson. Austin, thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing, today?
2: Great. Thanks for having me on.
1: Awesome, man. Hey, as you know, all know, you can find Austin at Twitter, uh, at ap for liberty as well as on Facebook, at ap for liberty And also, feel free to go ahead, if you're interested in his campaign, find him on uh, www.austinpeterson.com. And Austin, your name has been in the news uh, as of late uh, for, for I guess, it, it's a little disheartening for you as a guy running for uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, turns out that you have been suspended uh, by the uh, the great old Mark Zuckerberg there on Facebook for for an AR-15 giveaway that you did in the past um, that you also were suspended for but got revoked. Um, so, Austin, maybe you can just fill us in a little bit. What's What's been going on there with this, uh, this Facebook ban as of late?
2: Well, you know, in order to avoid the ban this time, like we did last time, instead of holding up the gun in the video, I decided that I would draw a picture of an AR-15, uh, and uh, for some reason that was still too dangerous for Facebook. So uh, <laughs> I, I got another 30-day ban for uh, doing what uh, any good conservative would do, which is to give away an AR-15 rifle to uh, my supporters to raise money and awareness of my belief in the Second Amendment. And uh, yeah, so here we are—30-day ban, uh, day two, and uh, still no end in sight. So, um, uh, the, the, really, the thing that sort of you know made this last time a big national story was the fact that Facebook's chief operating officer, Sheryl Sandberg, has contributed the maximum amount to Claire McCaskill in this election, which is where we get sort of the interest in this. You know, people want to know, well, hey, are are they interfering in this election? Because we hear a lot from Facebook about Russian election interference, and yet here we are seeing them interfering in a, an election here in Missouri. So we just want to kind of – we want to know what's up.
1: Absolutely. I mean it, it seems obviously a little suspicious when uh, – I know – Uh, I watched some of your supporters there who who are rightfully pointing out that there's a lot of other uh, gun giveaways that are on Facebook. And and suspiciously, none of those are being flagged uh, for for being a violation of terms of service. What do you think about that?
2: Well, you know, there's a lot of conservatives who have complained about uh, censorship on Twitter and on Facebook. And so I, you know, I I think that many of these social media platforms have a far left bias, very difficult to prove. But I mean, I don't hear a lot of Leftists complaining about getting banned so I have to wonder if it isn't just us I mean I'm not sure exactly what's going on and not I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist but you know when you start to see enough uh, you know dots on a line you wonder if there isn't a pattern you know
1: oh absolutely and uh, that actually that that, that leads to a, a good question because obviously here we are um, you know we, we are almost a month now removed from the parkland florida shooting um i know you went up to my my uh, old stopping grounds up in uh, the north country there in new york and you were greeted by the wonderful uh, liberal students of St. Lawrence university with a a sign that said mr peterson do you care more about ar-15s and children's lives uh, but hey, kudos to them for spelling your name right. Um, yeah. But uh, it actually, it led—it did lead to a couple of questions, and obviously, I've been getting questions here from a lot of uh, supporters, but also uh, curious individuals with regards to your campaign. And, and one of the questions I got was from Derek, and it was uh, his question was in light of the recent school shootings. Um, the main question that he had was, and let me pull it up here. Uh, Everywhere there's been an improved call for mental health screenings, health care options, so with that being said, what specific types of improvement in the mental health field would you push for in Senate? And with that being said, what concrete ways could we help find and care for those that may eventually pose a risk to themselves or others?
2: Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, mental health is is probably at fault for many of these killings. But but the problem with that is, is that it opens up a big can of worms, because, you know, if you if you're looking strictly at mental health, you know, perhaps half of this country could be assumed to have some sort of mental health issue. I mean, what what qualifies perhaps as being as having mental issues, ADHD, ADHD? You know, autism, right? Um, you know, what mm-hmm. what exactly would would, contrib- would contribute be a contributing factor to determine whether or not someone might not might might or might not have the right to bear arms? And you know, consider we have to have due process, right, before we could step in and say, hey, before we could take somebody's guns away, you know, there has to be at least some some level uh, some semblance of due process. A lot of veterans who return with PTSD are worried about some of the pushes on mental the mental health question because they're worried that if they have PTSD. PTSD because they've been fighting for our freedoms overseas, are they going to lose their freedoms if they come back um, and, uh, and are diagnosed with PTSD, right? So those are all real big questions that we have to answer and what exactly the role of the federal government is, quite frankly, I don't know at this point. Uh, but here, here's the thing, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at it as a societal uh, issue, if you look at some of the contributing factors, you know, many of these school shooters, they don't have good fathers. Right, I think like out of all of the the, mm. the shooters recently that it's that's come out, many of them um, just did not have good fathers. But why exactly? Uh, why exactly is that the case? Well, I don't know. And what does the role of the federal uh, the federal Senate have to be able to solve that problem? Well, I don't know. That's the problem. People want answers. From their government, they want the government to do something. But quite frankly, what government does is usually worse than the problem itself. So we do need to study this issue, and we do need to consider that there are some constitutional barriers for us in order to take certain types of action before we can move forward.
1: Agreed. Again, Brian Nichols here with Austin Peterson, a U.S. Senate candidate for the uh, the great state of Missouri. Next question I had, Austin. Now, obviously, you got a lot of your uh, name recognition as. As being a member of the Libertarian Party, um, but also with your run there back in 2016 for the, uh, the Libertarian nomination for president. Um, now, I did have one question that was raised up here. This is from Stone, uh, and it is a two-part uh, two question. The first saying, uh, Austin, uh, do you see the Republican Party as a means to an end or just an end? By that... Meaning specifically, can we achieve liberty, including minarchy, using the Republican Party, or is it just a tool to bring the country closer to libertarianism so that the LP is more influential when it, and when we hit conservatives and Tea Partiers' stopping point?
2: Parties are just tools. Uh, parties are, are ways for you to advance an idea. Um, the the thing is is that with with political parties, like they're they're a bit of a double edged sword, right? They can be used for good or they can be used for bad. So I would say that uh, that parties themselves are not ends, um, unless you're just like somebody trying to be a party apparatchik and be a, a, a ladder climbing career politician and hmm. use a party for your own ends. I would say, <laughs> um, you know, it's just a way for you to advance your principles. And every party has its problems. So I you know I think that. Uh, you know the Republican Party has its problems, so do the Democrats, and, and the Libertarian Party does as well. So if you're advancing, if you're advancing a cause, if you're advancing an idea, then I think that um, you know you're doing the right thing for a party. If you're just trying to advance a singular political party, then I, I question what it, your true motives are.
1: It's actually right in line. I actually had one of your uh, your first endorsement uh, gentlemen there, Dean Clancy. He was on my show back. A few weeks ago, in very similar mindset with regards to, uh, as you just pointed out, parties are the vessels to bring the, the principles into Washington. So, you know, kudos to you for, for I guess I want to say jumping ship, but keeping your principles and going to the GOP to help. You know, follow the likes of Justin Amash and Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. So kudos to you there. Um, Now, Stone had another follow-up question for this. um, And it it does focus more specifically on the GOP as a whole. Um, Saying, Austin, also, do you believe that the GOP is moving towards either A, a conservative libertarian movement like Rand Paul, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck. B, a more alt-right populist movement with the likes of Bannon, Trump, uh, Spencer, and Milo. Or C. Will continue to be filled with quote-unquote establishment do-nothings like Romney, Ryan, and McConnell.
2: Great question, but but I'm not sure that the question is 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 phrased in a way that I could answer it uh, in 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 total. Um, I think that where we are right now is with Trump populism, but I would say that you know it's possible that the future could be a more Ben Shapiro, you know, Rand Paul, Glenn Beck, Austin Peterson style movement uh, as long as we can get some victories. It's one of the key reasons why I'm running is so that we can actually push towards that more conservative libertarian alliance that I've been talking about. But of course, the problem there are some problems because it, in order for that to happen, you know, we sort of have to lay, lay down our arms. You know, we've been taking up arms against one another. Conservatives are going to have to accept the libertarian position on government. And libertarians are going, are going to need to accept the conservative view of institutions, families, friends, neighbors and churches in order for us to solve the problems of society without the, um, with, w- without the government. So I, I, it really just depends on whether or not we can sort of, you know, put our egos to the side and actually work towards the betterment of our country.
1: So would it be fair to say that I don't want to be like the Jordan Peterson interview where I say, so what you're saying is, um, but it would be fair to say that you're basically saying, looking at the way things are now, that a pragmatic approach to small L libertarianism, using the likes of a Rand Paul or Justin Mash, Thomas Massey, Mike Lee, that's going to be the more practical
2: approach going forward? Yes, I believe so. But again, it's going to require some sacrifice on both sides for us to sort of, um, you know, stop being at each other's throats. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't agree with Ben Shapiro on certain things, right? But I, but the fact that Ben Shapiro doesn't want to use the government to force me to agree with his views on certain social issues is, isn't going to stop me from making an alliance with somebody like Ben Shapiro because he believes in my view of government. As long as you don't want to use the government to force me to believe what it is that you want to believe, uh, what, you, what it is that you believe, then that's fine. I get to live the life that I I want to live free of interference and free from coercion and force so that but that's a challenge because we as libertarians we're a much smaller group I mean we have some authority we have some force I mean we've been able the libertarian movement has been able to make me a a force in Missouri but not on its own Con, a lot of conservatives are supporting me. a lot of evangelical Christians are supporting my campaign and without them I couldn't have come as far as I am so we've, we've got to be able to to reach across the aisle and start finding common ground and working towards the goals that we really want to see happen
1: I, I swear you have my questions laid out in front of you even though I know you don't uh, because that was a perfect segue into the next question I had uh, this mm-hmm. comes from Maggie she's from Tennessee and she says mm-hmm. uh, Austin I am a in suburban Tennessee so finding someone vocal in politics who is also not an active member of a faith community is quite rare even rarer is someone who is not a part of a church and is also pro-life. I definitely do not think that a person has to be religious to be pro-life, but I would love to hear how you, Austin, arrived at your beliefs about abortion and how if you plan to act on them in Senate.
2: Really good question. I mean, the question is, is is it a human life? And uh, if I want to be consistent, do all humans deserve the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I think the answer to the first question is yes. And the answer to the second question is decidedly yes. Um, So how we determine exactly how it is a human is a question for science. Uh, So sometimes when I'm out on the campaign trail, I'll ask people, if scientists were to find a cluster of cells on Mars, what would they call it? Well, they almost... Everyone answers life. So then why doesn't that logic apply to the unborn in the womb? I think it does. Um, and the problem, of course, is that the most politically incorrect thing that you can tell anyone is that they need to be personally responsible, right? Because that's the problem is that we're using abortion as a form of birth control, not to, you know, I think the, 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 in, the, amount of instances that it's used uh, in, in order to save the life of the mother or for something like something related to that or for, for, you know, exceptions in case of rape are, are minuscule compared to people who see it as a, as a something for convenience or as as a form of birth control, um, but but you know the, when it comes to my my power in the Senate, you know what what are the some of the things that I think we can do? Well, you know uh, with, was one of the things that we can do that requires the least amount of coercion uh, is you could legalize birth control over the counter. That's been statistically produce, proven to reduce the number of abortions in a in a society or in a nation or in a culture, right? But that's that in itself is a challenge because a lot of my conservative friends say, oh no 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 no, we don't want that even though they state that you know many of them are single issue voters on the question of abortion i want fewer abortions right if this is going to reduce the number of abortions then i'm definitely for it because i want to save lives but we i'm pro-life in in part because too i think that it's that the left has dehumanized the unborn in in a way their their arguments are always rely on eugenics right and they, they 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 claim that one life is more valuable than another and I, I think that that's, that's wrong, that that's inhuman, that that dehumanizes people and that if we want to be a civilization that dehumanizes the unborn, why not go full-blown eugenics, right? Well, well, let's just say, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Many on the alt-right, you asked you talked about the alt-right earlier, like Richard Spencers, uh, Richard Spencers of the world, um, they're not pro-life. Right? They're not pro-life. Do you know why? Because they want to see that they're pro-life for white babies, but not for not for minorities, right? They don't care if people of other races or cultures, you know, kill, you know, slaughter their children en masse. And isn't that a horrible, destructive, evil, totalitarian ideologies? And that's something we as conservatives or libertarians want to resist? Absolutely. Um, we, we should humanize the unborn. We should encourage people to be personally responsible. We should look for every solution that we can to save life, and I think that science is, is pushing further and forth, further towards more solutions that are less coercive, but we as a society do need to pressure one another socially out there and, and, and help convince as a culture, because I think we've lost the argument. Um, and we need, to, we're, we need to, to win the cultural debate about whether or not the unborn is a human. I think it is, uh, and I think we need to defend that at all costs.
1: Oh, Amen. I I can't agree more. Um, now this this kind of goes back to the the point you were making earlier. Uh, you are speaking with regards to Ben Shapiro and how uh, yes you you will agree with Ben. Let's say ninety percent of the time. I'm just using that as an arbitrary number. Uh, and then there's the other you know ten percent of the time. We'll say that you you have a, a fundamental different, uh, different disagreement on policy. Um, so we had uh, William here here he uh, just point out in a question saying that he's curious with regards to your opinion um, on foreign policy, as that seems to be the area where the likes of a a Austin Peterson would have a disagreement with the likes of a Ben Shapiro. So could you kind of dig in, Austin, in terms of, you know, if you were elected to to Senate, um, what will your your approach to foreign policy policy be, number one, uh, looking at the likes of Syria, but also with regards to looking at um, our future slash current relationship with the UN?
2: Right. Well, I'm not a big fan of the United Nations. I don't think it serves our interests. I think we should uh, conduct diplomacy in a more unilateral fashion. I prefer that the United States pull out of the UN entirely. Um, that being said, when it comes to our foreign policy, I think that there's a difference between national defense and militarism. You know, I don't think we ought to be skimping on national defense. I think we need a strong national defense. But where we ought to be pulling back is on militarism, right? Policing the world. Uh, why is it that American soldiers are still policing streets in Kabul in Iraq and Afghanistan? I think that we've we far exceeded the proper authority that should be granted to the executive in these matters. I think Congress needs to take a more active role. I think the Congress needs to assert its proper authority and war-making powers. You know, I, I mean, nobody now looks back and says, "Oh, Libya was a good idea," and now we're saying the same thing about Iraq. Obviously, we were attacked from Afghanistan, so there had to be something done there. But I think the problem is, of course, is as, as government as as government grants more and more war powers to the executive, the tendency is for the government to grow, and we do have, uh, like what Dwight Eisenhower said, there is a tendency of the military industrial complex Complex to affect our democratic processes, uh, right? There's a there's a um, there's in every single congressional district in the United States, there's a a piece being manufactured for for a jet plane or a tank or some some sort of military equipment that that impacts our elections, right? For to bring jobs to districts, so that's the problem. But um, you know, Ludwig von Mises and others were were very clear about war and um, the Keynesian fallacy, the broken window fallacy, that wartime prosperity uh, you know brings about. general wealth and uh, because if that were true like, like I think Ludwig von Mises um, famously said that war brings um, uh, brings about uh, prosperity like a plague right or like a hurricane or a tornado or a disaster. Right, it's uh, it's a broken window fallacy. If if we really wanted to stimulate our economy because war was good, right, a wartime production was good. Why don't United States and Japan just go back to war? We we send all of our fleets and carriers out in the middle of ocean to to fight each other and sink them to the bottom, and we'll have increased our wealth. Right, that's not how it works. Um, so frankly, I think that we've overextended ourselves militarily, and I think we need to have a more prudent foreign policy
1: all right can't complain there um now this next question it's it's a long one so i'm going to break it down into three parts and it all does focus uh, primarily on immigration so uh this comes from nick he goes uh austin my primary contention with your views is your position on illegal aliens I understand and agree, in principle, with your positions, but Milton Freeman certainly had the most practical view on illegal Aliens. With this in mind, I wonder, and here's the first part of the question. Number one, how do you, Austin Peterson, propose to maintain the integrity of our elections if non-citizens are allowed to come and go freely without regulation?
2: Well, I don't think that non-citizens should be allowed to vote. I, I actually... Depart with some of uh, the libertarians on things like voter ID laws, you know, uh, to me, you uh, a vote is a vote to use force against me, right? You're trying. You're using asking the government to use force to enforce a law on your behalf. Sometimes I like to joke that every law should end with a sentence dot dot dot, or we will kill you. (laughs) <laughs> because ultimately that's what uh, every law does but the problem with immigration to me is that we have a broken system i want more legal immigration less illegal immigration but it, economics is about incentives if you incentivize people to break the law like we do with our current system you're going to have more illegal immigration if you incentivize people to do to obey the law then you're going to have more legal immigration now the problem i think is that the debate is is been hijacked by the two extremes you've got one group of people who says you know no no you know no borders whatsoever open borders right and the nation state and then you've got people on the other end i was at a trump rally the other day somebody shouted behind me no immigrants no immigration and i just wanted to turn around and say no immigration like as in zero, like none at all? I mean, how are you going uh, uh, to pull something like that off, right, without becoming a totalitarian state, uh, right? So we have to have policies that benefit Americans. Yes, absolutely. I believe in America first. But frankly, I think the problem is, is that because of the way that we have structured our immigration law right now, if it takes 10 to 25 years to become an American citizen, people are going to break the law. So let's have a simple, strict security check, simple, strict disease check, pass a citizenship test, pledge allegiance to the United States, and then you're done
1: all right good answer i uh because that actually kind of leads right into the second question from uh, from nick here so his, his next question was uh Austin, how do you reconcile your your pro second amendment position particularly with regard to protecting your own property and with a lack of protection on our borders so i guess more more specifically how can you say that you are a firm believer in having the second amendment to protect your personal property but then not having the ability to protect your national property being borders. That makes
2: sense? I mean, it does, but it's it's a fallacious claim because public is public and private is private. You don't own the borders, right? It doesn't belong to you, right? This is this is a question of public property versus private property. And and if you take a look, unfortunately, there's something within like a 100-mile radius from the borders. It's a constitution-free zone where police can set up checkpoints and stop citizens and search their cars, and you lose due process in your Fourth Amendment rights. So, so don't tell me that that's your private property. Otherwise, I have reason to come in and Blast you in the head for for taking away my Fourth Amendment rights, right? I could like I could step onto your property and say, hey, well, you know, in this Constitution-free zone that you have set up, it's your private property. You're taking away my Fourth Amendment rights. Well, I'm rev- uh, I'm having a revolution against you right now. I'm gonna grab my flintlock and start killing some redcoats. Um, so the the problem, of course, again lies in I think uh, pro- uh, the base of economic illiteracy that is going around out there right now. People don't understand economics. They don't understand how incentives works. They they see only what is seen. They 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 never see what is Unseen. Uh, and unless people start reading a little bit more, uh, a little bit more uh, Friedrich Hayek, Milton Friedman, and Ludwig von Mises, we're never going to be able to come to an understanding on this because at the end of the day, once you, once you debunk all of the economic fallacies that are being presented in this, and once you debunk all of the, the legal fallacies and the differences between private property and public property, then at the end of the day, you know, they'll they'll just back up to say, well, it's my culture, my culture. Well, you know, I just went through a pretty strict, severe Canadian border check. Point right? And these people are supposed to be the most tolerant people on earth, right? And they were telling me, is there anyone else who can do your job here in Canada? And I'm like, well, no, no. Is there anybody else who can do your job in Canada? You know, my culture is my culture. Your culture is your culture. We have different cultures in the United States, and that's respected uh, through the freedom of speech. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I prefer taco trucks to gravy fries. So if you're going to... if you're going to have a border wall, put it on the northern border because uh, at least south, south of the border uh, we get uh, tasty tacos. Uh, but uh, I, I don't like the poutine. So you want to force your, your views on me? So then fine, I'll turn around and force my views on you. You're going to eat gravy fries then, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, so that's the problem is that event once the economic fallacies are debunked, you see that it just lies in a simple um, a simple disagreement over cultural issues, which really the government has no uh, role in protecting.
1: See, you didn't get the right... You didn't get the right poutine. That's the problem. You, oh, you, re- you got to go to Sergi's in Canton, New York. They have the best poutine you can possibly have. That, that's the problem. You, just, you didn't get that.
2: Yeah, see, there you go. That's the issue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, awesome. And then, so Nick, he he was really into this immigration uh, discussion, so he did have one final follow-up question, and I think it comes from more of a personal, um, a personal position he has, and I'll cover that at the end of this question. So he goes, finally... Uh, as as you're being a very principled person, as he is himself, at what point do you, Austin, bend to uh, a little, uh, bend a little to accommodate reality? That being the concerning reality, being that p- people are coming here to enjoy our generous benefits and not assimilate, creating a highly dependent, further in debt, and balkanized USA. The reason he brings this up is that he said, as a first generation uh, German and Filipino immigrant. Both sides of his family aggressively assimilated and embraced American values, and he has concerns about people bringing inferior cultures to the United States.
2: Well, define inferior culture. I mean, it's such a—it's such I think a... He's
1: more specifically referring to like, uh, you know, Sharia law, um, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. Islamic fundamentalism and the like. Right.
2: Right. Right. It, yeah. If you want to live in, and operate in the United States, then you operate under the constitutional law system. Right. You you respect the, the Bill of Rights. And if you want to be an American citizen, then you pledge allegiance to the United States and, and our culture and our, and our laws. Uh, but uh, but frankly, you know, we have, a, you know, when you talk about balkanization, you know, we have multiple different religions here in the United States. Many of them are very secretive. Many of them operate privately. You know, you have Mormons in Utah who want to you know, they have their own private culture. You've got Jews in Brooklyn very Orthodox uh, uh, Jews in Brooklyn, and they have their own form of system of law and arbitration that they have, right? And then Muslims wanna practice their own system of arbitration in certain ways, right? It's just because you don't care for their culture. Listen, I, I, I'm i not a part of any of those cultures, right? But I respect all of their religious freedoms. So, yeah, that's what we have in the United States. If you're not willing to respect religious freedom in the United States, then yes, don't come here, right? If you're not willing to respect our system of laws, then yes, don't come here. But you know, you're even allowed in the United States the freedom of speech to say that you don't respect our laws or our culture, and you're even allowed to use the democratic process to try to change those laws through the constitutional process. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, here's the thing, you know, fear mongering is powerful. Fear-mongering works the politicians have been telling us terrifying lies for years right you're frankly this guy is much more is, is much more under a threat of dying by drowning in his bathtub than he is from dying from a threat of Islamic terrorism right but unfortunately humans are very bad at ju- at judging relative threats to their health wellness and safety right and he's probably uh, I bet the guy himself probably eats a lot of McDonald's cheeseburgers and a lot of chicken nuggets and drinks a lot of coca-cola which is a far greater uh, danger to him than Sharia law in the United States but you know again if I just was wanted to be a typical politician I would find a boogeyman I would uh, demonize them uh, marginalize marginalized them tell them uh, that he that he you're better than these people they're 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 rapists they're coming they're taking your jobs and that would make me a much more popular politician because everybody loves being told that they're better than somebody else. You know, there was a famous, I, th- I don't know if it was the Milgram experiment or I, I can't remember which one it was, in the 1960s, where a school teacher sat down for a day and she tested her students on, as soon as she said, okay, people with blue eyes, they're, be- they're beautiful. People with blue eyes are wonderful and lovely and they're so much better than students with brown eyes, right, and then, and then they found that the blue eyed students started treating the brown eyed students like crap. Then the next day she turned it around and said that the brown-eyed students they're much better they're they're much smarter they're much more beautiful and then all of a sudden the social dynamics changed right and that that's that plays out in society writ large but you know don't use science facts evidence reason and logic on people who have renounced it because to them that's only going to piss them off right if you're going to tell people the truth you have to make them laugh or else they'll kill you um, and that's the problem is that we we love big we love liars we love politicians who lie to us we love people like Bernie Sanders who tell us they can give us things for free we love the politicians who demonize uh, and marginalize and and oppress groups and say that you're better than these people our culture is inferior um and uh you know and and that's the thing and and we kill people like ourselves Brian, people like yourself people like myself we, we destroy those people because they tell us the we say the uncomfortable truths that nobody wants to hear and that's why our that's why our country going to crap so technically the culture of the person who asked that question is really what's destroying this country and and if anything we should see if we can't um you know uh, drop some deportation papers for him because i certainly (laughs) want to make sure that i don't want him getting any welfare that's for sure we should deny his social security benefits see what we can do to kick him out of the country because i don't like his culture i think it's inferior to be to be quite honest
1: (laughs) all right so to, to to wrap up austin i i did want to just kind of um go back to the entire premise of my my podcast here and that is to educate enlighten and inform so the this this show we have people from all different persuasions on whether they be you know far left communists all the way to the most uh, rabid anarchists and and the goal is really to bring these different uh, different philosophies, different ways of looking at our world, um, together to at the very least understand one another. So instead of you know sitting in our, our echo chambers and screaming at one another, we actually can have a dialogue, and, and even if we, we decide hey, we don't agree with each other, we at least know where the other side is coming. So with that being said, uh, as you, a, a libertarian, small-l libertarian, Republican candidate running for U.S. Senate in Missouri, if you could take a, a person who is a democrat a moderate an independent um who is is i guess foreign to libertarianism um or or you know the the form of republicanism that you're bringing forward how would you best um i guess summarize your views and hopefully get them to vote for you uh in november this year
2: Well, you're asking a strategic question, right? A tactical question. And so I would just say that the answer to that is that you want to be a good listener first. Once you can determine what it is the issues are of concern to an individual person, that you're trying to do outreach to, and you know what it is that they believe. Then you can find out you, you know what the best way to approach them is. You know, and quite frequently, you know, as a as a as a politician, someone who's campaigning for votes, um, what I'll do is I'll just ask people a series of questions and then listen to their concerns, and then I won't even have to say a single word about what it is I believe, and they'll say, you know what, you earn my vote just because you're being a good listener. So it's not so 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 in terms of strategy and tactics, it's not so much about how to take your beliefs and force them on people or how to how to convince people of your beliefs. Many times it's being a good uh, politician is really just about being a good listener and about c- engaging with your constituents it's it's a social skill Right? It's not an intellectual skill. It's, it's not about who has the best ideas. If, if the person with the best ideas will always won the election, then Ron Paul would have won the presidency, right? Uh, but that's just not what we see. You've got to be very social. You've got to be affable. You've got to be a good listener. That's really what it is. Be a good listener first. Determine what the problem is that the person uh, says that they identify, and then see if you have some solutions or some, something kind to, to offer in order to, um, to, to solve the problem that they've identified in society.
1: All right, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate the uh, the candor and, and honestly, I think this has been really a, a great opportunity for people to to learn more not only about your campaign, um, but also to learn more about not only you but the uh, the values that you represent and and hopefully give a better insight into the uh, the small L libertarianism that we're trying to uh, to promote here. Um, so, as always, I mean, you can follow Austin on Twitter and on Facebook at AP 4 Liberty. And on uh, on your website, austinpeterson.com. dot com. Austin, anything you wanted to, to plug here before uh, before we send you on your merry way to your next set of interviews?
2: You got it all. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a great night.
1: You as well, man. Have a good one.
2: Mm, bye.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, so that was uh, Austin Peterson there. He's a, uh, as I said, candidate for United States Senate um, over in the great state of Missouri, running as a Republican against uh, the current Attorney General in Josh Hawley uh, to take on the incumbent uh, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, who has been the uh, Democratic Senator now for six six years, I believe, six years. Yeah, six years. Um Six years too long. So, uh, with that being said, what are your thoughts on on Austin's interview? Um, you know, please feel free to to go ahead and uh, you know tweet, Facebook, YouTube comments, what have you. Um, you know, feel free to go ahead and, and like, review, and share on iTunes. Um, let us know your thoughts, and, and as always, please share this episode with your friends and family um, to hopefully give them a perspective into uh, not only libertarianism but also in terms of. Uh, the values that we're looking for here in uh, in 2018 to bring them to the White House—that's that's always the goal, you know. And I, again, I look at Austin as a candidate. This is my soapbox now. Austin, I think, is, is one of those candidates who we desperately need right now uh, as as libertarians, just because uh, you know I, I'm not. I'm not going to get into the, the Austin leaving the Libertarian Party and, and joining the Republican Party uh, discussion because I don't think that's productive. Um, looking at what we have as fundamental Libertarian ideals, uh, going forward, I, I think Austin is a great advocate. There's a reason um, that he was able to get on the shows like Glenn Beck uh, back in the 2016 campaign, as well as uh, you know most recently with his, his current Senate campaign. And to use that platform to promote true libertarian ideals, um, the likes that we really haven't seen in in many candidates, uh, be they, I mean, I guess the only real candidates we can think of are, are the Ron Pauls, the Rand Pauls, Justin Amash, and Thomas Massey. Um, so... You know, at the end of the day, we, we need more liberty loving fighters there in, in Washington. Um, and, you know, if we can take someone like Claremont Caskell and replace her with a guy like Austin, I truly think we're, we're in a much better situation than we are now. Um, but as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Brian Nichols Show. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, hopefully, you, you found today's show to be uh, educational, um, or as we always like to say, uh, educate, enlighten, and inform. Uh, so hopefully all three of those buckets were filled today. Um, but again, you can follow me on you can follow me on Twitter um, at BNicholsLiberty, as well as on Facebook at b uh, Or if you're interested, please feel free to go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, every little bit helps, folks. So we, every time we get a Patreon donor, uh, it's easier for us to continue producing this type of content. Um, and really, the, the goal is to help sh- uh, share this message of liberty across, um, across the, uh, the networks to, to people from all political spectrums, um, really to help them learn what it is that we're trying to promote here, uh, being the message of liberty. Um, and again, if you could, please take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Uh, I think I'm going to start doing all five-star reviews. You're going to get a read here on the, uh, on the air. So uh, until next, uh, next week, folks, it's Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, part of the We Are Libertarians Network. Thank you so much. Thanks to Austin Petersman for joining me today. He's he's a pretty busy guy. Um, so thank you to Austin for taking a few uh, few minutes out of his uh, busy day to come on. Uh, but again, until next week, it's Brian Nichols. We'll talk to you then.